place where life is impossible. Out here, we are the anomaly. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you have permission to use my body. My name is Shahir Dowd. What are you, an altar boy now? I'm Jamie Walsh. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Society of the Snow. Uh, if we were to form a society, we have introduced a new person into the room here. Although, Jamie, you've been on several times before. Hi, and welcome back. It's true, but I brought a dog this time. That oh. is true. There is a dog now. Uh, I think that makes you president of our new society. Oh, oh right? perfect. Fantastic. Yeah. The dog's actually be... on your lap, right? Yeah, I didn't I even see Laszlo was there. I can't move. He's on my lap. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the person um, with a dog on their lap is automatically president of the society. Matt, uh, what are you? The secretary? The, is, uh, the treasurer? I'm, yeah, I'm the treasurer. I'm the one that counts all the bones. <laughs> no, counts the bones. She here, what's, of... she here, what's your job? What's your job? Um... I'd probably be the pilot, to be honest with you, given <laughs> oh, where we're no. going. Oh, it's going to be uh, a rough and bumpy ride, and we should not be making jokes. But we uh, and be rest assured, listeners, if we do make jokes, it is in the interest of levity because of the heavy film we're about to discuss. Uh, and sometimes you just need a little uh, light relief, and that's what we provide. If I'm not allowed to make jokes about this. <laughs> I will, my whole soul will crumble and I will roll into the smallest ball and you'll it's, never hear from me again. It's not that you're not allowed to make jokes about this. It's just the jokes, no pun intended, have to be a little bit tasteful. I think you son of a bitch, <laughs> you son of a bitch that it worked on so many levels. I'm sorry you got there before anyone else did. Yeah, I feel like you had that locked in the chamber. No, 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 I did this. not. That came to me as I was saying it. But I do think we I, I guess um, since seeing this movie, uh, Jamie, you and I were talking just a second ago. Uh, I uh, jumped in and started reading the book right away. I only got halfway through it. Uh, but I've been essentially for the last four or five days listening uh, on audiobook and reading um, on my Kindle uh, this story. So I saw this movie on Friday night and I feel like I've been living it or listening to it and replaying it for the last four or five days. And I'm kind of like going, there's a quite a degree of respect that is required to to the magnitude of this story. I don't know. I, Jamie, is that how you kind of feel about it, having read the book and watched the movie? Oh, Shahir, I can tell you, uh, first of all, full relation, same, same. Uh, and also poor Matt has <laughs> dealt with me for the past week and a half, just unable to talk about anything but the Uruguayan rugby team of 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 this incident. I it doesn't matter what we're doing. We're buying yeah. coffee, we're doing dishes and I'll say, "Did you know a fun fact about the helicopters that picked them up?" And he's like, "Stop." Yeah, it's Shivali, been a lot. Shivali has been enduring the same thing for the last week as well. Uh <laughs> so I I think I get it. Uh Sorry well, guys. Yeah, Apology sorry. accepted. It's such an extraordinary story. I don't know. You know, listen, humans have so many great stories, an but this is outrageous. Well, well, let's I uh, we have some comparable stories that we can we can talk about. Um, obviously, I, I think uh, one thing I want to say is again, welcome back, Jamie. Um, we haven't seen you or heard you on the podcast for a while. When was the last episode we had you? Oh on, boy! Buddy? Oh god! Not Phantom Fred. I don't Fred. think You've been here on was one... here. I think it oh, was maybe. Yeah, that makes sense. That's right. I think it was maybe. Um... Was it a holiday one? No, last year. <laughs> No, it was the Quiet Place, the second Quiet Place. Ah, oh, second Quiet Place quiet two, place. if you will. I still have not seen that. Is it quieter? The silent spot. <laughs> is it quieter than the first place? A little bit. It's uh... No, no, no. It's way louder. It actually is way, it's way louder. louder. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait. Uh, before we get too far away from taste, uh, dear <laughs> listeners, Shahir, to 
to give us some comfort while we talk about this extremely harrowing uh, experience did make us two big, lovely mugs of hot chocolate. That's well, right. hang on. Let's let's <laughs> wind back the clock just a, a, about 10 minutes before that, which is that uh, actually probably we've got to wind back the clock a couple of months before that. But like uh, I've been trying to perfect a molten lava cake recipe for a while. Right. And I've I've gotten it right kind of once, maybe twice. You guys were there the first time and it was like, it was OK. It was good. Uh, it was good. It's fine. Uh, and this is all based on the Binging with Babish uh, series, which you bought me the cookbook for. Uh-huh. So like, Matt, this is really kind of your fault. Shit. Um, uh, so uh, a couple of months ago, I sent over a molten lava cake over to uh, over to your place. Uh-huh. Huh? which I think Jamie had. And I was like a little bit apologetic for it because it was like, I, this is not my best work. It was incredible. A, it was I mean, amazing. Lava cake Never apologize for he sending it, desserts. He carried <laughs> it a block with ice cream on a plate and I ate it with extraordinary joy. So in return, you sent over a chocolate brownie today. Yes. And then I was like- Over a year later. <laughs> and then, uh, but, but a couple of weeks ago, Matt was telling me that you wanted a hot chocolate and the only thing you guys had in your house was a Swissmas packet. That's true. And and uh, I have also in this time been trying to perfect a hot chocolate recipe because I have kids coming over to my house, and and I'm like I want to have the best hot chocolate in the neighborhood when m- my son brings his friends over you, to the house. Is this dad cred? This is, is that dad cred. It? Maybe it's a little bit of Willy Wonka. I don't know what this is. <laughs> um, but but so I've been perfecting all of this. Needless to say, for the listeners. Rest assured, all that talk about being tasteful is about to go down the drain as we each uh, eat devour a chocolate dessert before we talk about a movie about desperate starvation. Where they do eventually, spoiler alert, minor spoiler alert, find some chocolate. Someone does eat chocolate in the movie. Um, chocolate is a, is a big factor in this, in this uh, movie. Uh, so if this is tasty, do the, we then have to call you daddy? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we should do that's, that. That's not, yeah, I don't think you should do that. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> I mean, you the can, line. Matt, if that's you want. That's the line where we, we're not, okay, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to try this. We're gonna all right, try I'm, right, I'm eating brownie. Fine. You guys are trying hot what chocolate. A, what a wonderful audio medium mm. this is. Mm. It's a good brownie. Mm. Whoa. That's pretty good. That's real good, Shahir. Ooh, daddy, yeah. you nasty. <laughs> <laughs> this is great brownie. Uh, I'm going to pack some for my son's lunch tomorrow. Excellent. He's going to go to school. He is going to go to school. So sugared up. Super, <laughs> super sugared up. I think the comfort of chocolate is necessary, although after watching this movie and listening to... Um, uh, I, I listened to the audiobook of Alive because uh, my... Commute, I also did that. My commute did that. has become long. Um, yeah. uh, I did feel awful every time I was like, oh no, my Clementine's not ripe enough. Because <laughs> then the, the the moment I would start the book again, they would be like, they went for three days before they decided that <laughs> they were buried in an time. avalanche. <laughs> it was time to eat an arm. And you're like, oh God, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I gotta I gotta say this one thing, which is that um my biggest takeaway. There's a lot of personal takeaways about this film. One of them is that uh, I hate books about management and business. I really, I just loathe them and I get sent them a lot and I get told to read them a lot and, and that sort of thing. And Who's the sending is, you these things? Well, it's, you know, when you when you start a company, people, you know, around you kind of send you business books as gifts all the time. You know, like, hey, you're starting a company. Here's you go. Here's oh, okay. seven, I did, seven I did exactly that. Management. I only get recently. business gifts, not <laughs> gifts. I get like the two men shaking hands and going business. Ha ha. Like those are the only type of business things anyone sends me. You, darling, lead a strange Internet life, though. <laughs> 
I do. <laughs> yeah, nobody sends me memes. <laughs> um, my 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 point, my 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 big takeaway though is that I love books like this, which I think are more applicable to how you can live your life and how you know. I, I this is not intended to be a business book at all or anything to do with management or anything like that. But there's a lot of key takeaways you can take from this experience uh, about how to how an organization can be run or how groups can. Um, uh, can effectively achieve goals, and I, I, it's I, I don't want to come into this podcast being like, hey, if you're starting a company, and you want to be into the Fortune 500. No, this is the book for team you. Building exercises. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I like you were talking about how you kind of felt, um, you know, like disgusted if you had to eat a, a bad Clementine or something like that. I was at the gym working out today, and it was like, I was like powered because of the book. I was like. You know, any second I felt tired, I was like, imagine what those guys felt at this moment. And it's, any point that I'm complaining about this is so ridiculous that that I'm I need to just keep working through this. It's true. Um, and getting hit with our first cold wave of the winter in New York yeah. this week has made me think similarly. Oh, my God. This The whole time I've been walking through the streets of New York uh, this week, all I've been thinking about is the temperature that the uh, passengers of the of this plane were actually having to deal with up on the on the Andes. Oh my God, negative twenty two Fahrenheit at night. Yeah, yeah, yuck. Yeah, and, and like <laughs> they they had no gloves. Like I I can't no leave gloves. my apartment without gloves or like three pairs of socks. Now, now, you know, the the numerical value of horror and nightmarishness is off the charts. But what I will say that they had to add like a plus three to the negative nine thousand is youth. Um, the, the, I will say in my twenties, not that I would ever think I could survive anything like they did, but the cold did not bother me as much as it does now. Um, so, <laughs> so what was that? You're a regular Elsa. Yeah. Yeah. I let it, let it go. I was going to say, let it snow. That's a different song. Regardless, uh, this is a nightmare scenario that this film posits and we will get into it as soon as we get through some emails. Yes, thank you everyone who emailed us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. We ha again have a little bit of a backlog of emails, which we are absolutely delighted by, and we love it that you email us in your thoughts as you are watching movies or listening to our podcast. Um, if we haven't got to your email this week, we try to parse them out so that we're not just like uh, a full episode of emails. Um, but we will, we certainly get every email, read every email, try to respond to you, and we'll definitely read them out. Uh, unless you say mean things about us, in which case, no. Uh, Louis <laughs> Philip writes, I was really really glad to hear you read my previous email on the pod and pronounce my name correctly. Uh, I'm glad you decided to review Saltburn. I was looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the film for a while. I agree with both of you that the film is is made incredibly well. Some scenes and shots have stuck with me and will stay with me for a long time to come. It was sexy and taboo in ways that got me really jazzed until the end. Yes. I, th I think it was Matt who said that the ending felt deflated and I find that this is the best way to describe it. Though for me, the ending deflated my tires to the point of causing me to veer off the road. I would recommend this movie, but I would also recommend ending the film just before the cafe scene towards the end. Uh, though the final dance was fun. Uh, thanks for reading, and I can't. Uh, I I look forward to hearing what your thoughts are on Poor Things by Yargos Lanthimos. Can't recommend that film enough. What a triumph! And then 
there was a conjoined email here because uh, we had, in the time that it took us to read this email, we actually released an episode about poor things. Look at that. Louis Philip wrote us in again. Look at, the, just look at that. Look how quick we are. <laughs> uh, first things first, I'm so glad to hear you enjoyed, uh, you both enjoyed poor things as much as I have. What a triumphant film. My girlfriend and I saw it around Christmas with a decent sized crowd and both adored it. During our showing, there were a couple who walked out right as the movie turns to color. If you know, you know, which is really their loss. There was also a group of five to six folks who are all older with gray hair uh it looked like a work outing honestly and as soon as the credits started rolling uh the oldest amongst them looked up and stood up and loudly exclaimed that was fucking amazing the man just uh, looked around the auditorium to check that everyone was on the same page and he was and those that had stuck with it very much did uh in no other film um uh, have I had a stranger in the auditorium drum up a conversation with everyone else about what we had just watched? One of my favorite movie theater going experiences, hands down. On to Rebel Moon. <laughs> As someone who, like Matt, was curious, I watched it and I wish I hadn't. And it's wholly unnecessary as a piece of media. Please don't waste your time with this one. I'm legitimately just looking out for the both of you. It's entirely uninteresting, unoriginal, and devoid of any redeeming qualities, save for the work that the underpaid VFX artists put in. Anyway, thanks for reading. I look forward to hearing your next film discussion. Well, thank um, you for that email. I, I want to say something about the Rebel Moon stuff. Well, uh, just before we do... The Rebel Moon thing comes up in every email this Great. week. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> um, I, here's what I'll say. <laughs> Y'all keep trying to dissuade. If everyone just was quiet about it, I would have forgot. But, <laughs> but now it, it's been built up in my mind as this just nightmare of like it like it, it at this point. Dare I say, with all of the listeners talking, is it worse than being in this plane crash? I don't know. But now I'm more curious than I ever have been. Jamie, if you were made to watch Ribble Moon, or if you were told the the movie du jour at Casa de Kroll was Ribble Moon, uh, would you be checking in or checking out? Um, you know, I've sat through a, a lot of films <laughs> that were required watching in this apartment. And Rebel Moon is not one of those. I'm comforted to hear that. Um, I've I have some strategies uh, around those movies. The problem is Matt is like a really active movie watcher, so you can't like, you know, like goof around, yeah. and be on your computer and stuff. Like if we're watching a movie, we're both this way. If we're watching a movie, we want each other to focus on the movie. So yeah, uh, ooh, I don't mm -hmm. know. I might have to make plans that night. I don't even know if I'm going to do it, but if everyone keeps me like, no, don't stop. I'm that's going to make it happen more. I just, uh, I feel like Zack Snyder has burned me too many times. He's burned us all. I think he's been burning <laughs> us ever since uh, Dawn of the Dead, but didn't uh, we, have we forgotten about the, the zombie heist movie that we talked about last year that he made? Oh, it was fine. <laughs> no, it no, wasn't. it was terrible. It was terrible. It I don't know fine. what's wrong. with It you. was truly awful. It was. It was exactly what I expected it to be. They forgot. Uh, no, you and Zach deserve each other. <laughs> I, um, I'm not. I had Jamie, to watch that. I had to watch that here. I had to watch that here, and it was awful. <laughs> I'm just saying. After we uh, all just screamed at the microphone at the same time, I'm just saying. Morbid curiosity for me is one of the most like potent drugs you can possibly do when it comes to movies. So if you keep telling me how just valueless this mm -hmm. film is, it makes me want to see what you're talking about more. The woman well, in the zombie heist movie that they go <laughs> into 
the casino to get, I think her name's Anna, oh, man. doesn't have an ending. They put her on a helicopter. The helicopter gets attacked by a, an extra strong zombie. Tignataro dies. Everyone Tignataro else in the helicopter even, has, she was, she was has never a really distinct there. ending. Tignataro was and, a, a, and, a and fever the, dream. And the, the, the whole reason for them to go in doesn't have a conclusion. She's just, <laughs> she's just written off scene. Well, could you, uh, Jamie, continue this uh, diatribe by reading us what Paul had written, which has a very Rebel Moon theme as well. Okay, I'm ready. Paul, I hope you're ready. My dear heads of the Topam fam, listen to the Poor Things episode and feel obligated to tell you the Rebel Moon prodding is a bit. Seriously, don't waste your time. Bear in mind, I'm someone who liked the film. But after listening to several hundred episodes, I guarantee you will not find it very fulfilling to discuss. We, parentheses, the audience, do actually care about you, parentheses, the host. In And in particular, I think it would ruin Shahir's day to do this one while stuff like Anatomy of a Fall goes untalked about. Looking forward to your thoughts on The Iron Claw. Well, Sincerely, cool. Paul. Look how good, Paul, we are. Not every email. It's almost like Shahir planned it this way. Every email is like, looking forward to this one. Bam, that episode's out. Looking forward <laughs> to that one. Bam, that episode's out. Oh, Rebel Moon's bad? Well, now we're doing a whole seven episode special on it. Like, that's really how this is going to go. Well, you, you really got a nigmat into doing movies, I think, is what, <laughs> is, what the, is what we're learning here. Apparently, it's working. Anyway, uh, I hope this one isn't about Rebel Moon. This is from Steven. I was posting online my <laughs> and someone replied, you're just jealous. And I realized they had a point. I am jealous. I'm jealous of Zach's opportunities. I'm 58 years old. I've worked in the film and television industry for 40 years, and I'm never going to have a chance to do anything like what he has. Deep inside, I dreamed one day my chance would come and I would make some truly great movies. Rebel Moon and the massive appetite and resources uh, there uh, is out that are resources that are out there. Pardon me for it. Uh, and Zach's other shitty movies has helped me realize that it's never going to happen. Then again, part of me can't help but look at Scorsese and Eastwood and think maybe there's still a chance. Maybe it's not too late. Stephen, I want to I want to just jump in here because I do know Stephen and he is terrific. He's a fantastic um, cinematographer and DP in New Zealand and. And Stephen, I believe in you. A hundred percent believe in you that you're going to make something great soon. He has actually made great feature films already. So I, uh, uh, it, I don't know if it's worth anything coming from me. I a hundred percent believe in you, buddy. And I really love that point that you made, Stephen. Great job. And I will say this: think of it this way, Stephen. Yeah, Zach's taken up resources, right? But he's also taken up resources in the Netflix space, which I think. Is an infinite repository? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, but what I mean is it's not taking thing, it's not taking resources away from like traditional film companies. Zach's they not, use the same vendors, man. They use the same people. The same people. I'm just saying budgetarily from from the 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 houses that produce. I'm so so let's let Zach have his little corner. I, I guarantee you, by the way, uh, because Society of the Snow was shot on volume stages, uh -huh. that they may have been the same volume stages that were used to shoot Rebel Moon. Oh, probably. They shared a crafts table. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just that, that is a tasteless joke, Jamie. No, you can't do it twice. You can't do it twice. Anyway, thank you, Stephen. Uh, 
the Rebel Moon miniseries coming to our Patreon uh, oh in 2027. Matt, could you tell us what the movie that has obsessed uh, us and so many other listeners' minds for the last couple of weeks has uh, been Society for the Snow is about? That I can. The Internet Movie Database uh, opens the fridge and lets us know that. Oh, boy. The flight of a rugby team crashes on a glacier in the Andes. The few passengers who survive the crash find themselves in one of the world's toughest environments to survive. Now, uh, Jamie, as you mentioned, I was very excited for you to be on the show because you have been obsessed with this story since before I even realized this movie was a thing that was happening. Like you got involved with this tale, I believe, through last podcast, or did you know about it before? What was the journey to get to your obsession that it was currently? Oh, I have always known this story. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and um, shout out to my mom who uh, definitely got hyper-focused on it, like Shahir and I are now in probably 1993. Mm -hmm. I remember her watching Alive, and I remember yeah. sitting with her on the couch and being like, well, do any of the girls survive? And her being like, no, I don't think any of the girls make it out of this. And uh, it's always, it's come up every once in a while. And a few years ago, I read a pretty long article about it and I, I've always liked this story. And then, yeah, as Society of the Snow was coming out, I know a few podcasts did um, some coverage on it. Uh, and then um, and then this uh, very excellent film came out. And, um, yeah, I spiraled into a deep obsession. I think the the reason why w my family was interested in it as well is that, like, we, we did watch movies like this that came around. This was an Ethan Hawke movie. I remember uh, Dead Poets Society yeah. was an early early movie for us, so another Ethan Hawke movie very coming Uruguay out. Very Uruguayan Ethan Hawke. Yeah, very Uruguayan Ethan Hawke. Um, so we watched it uh, in Fiji, I believe, and I remember the thing was is that we all – the, there's just the conversation that emerged after the movie was so – um, it was burned into my memory. It was like, it was the question everyone asked each other was like, would you be able to do that? And, you know, like, what did it mean to break the societal norm of, of resorting to, it's not actually technically cannibalism, by the way. Cannibalism implies um, there was- uh, Ritual or something like that, right? Also, the cause of death is for the purpose of eating. Uh, whereas this, I, there is another term for this. I think it's called apophony or something like that. Apophony. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, whoever the linguists uh, uh, are. Uh, and, uh, anthropophagy. Anthropophagy. It's, is that, is that the correct phrase? I can spell it. I can't pronounce it. Right. Right. Okay. T H R O P O P P H A G Y. I think you nailed correct. it. Yeah. Um, which is the, which is actually, um, more akin to, uh, using somebody else's body for survival as mm -hmm. opposed to, um, uh, you know, the, the ritual or actually killing someone to eat their, yeah. eat their body. So, so uh, a lot of times, uh, this story is brought up as, uh, as part of the cannibal tale or as part of a cannibalistic tale, but it's not technically not yeah, the that's same us thing. Misusing the word. Um, um I mean, so I oh, happen, sorry. no, sorry. Uh, I, I happen to think that the cannibalism aspect of this, excuse me, the, <laughs> Anthropophagy. I, I mean, you're not going to be able to hear this, but aspect anthropophagy. Of. Anthropophagy. Anthropophagy. The yeah, aspect of this movie is, um, or story is, uh, I think it overtakes the real shining achievement, which is just the creativity and yeah, like organization and and teamwork and um, and I think it 
it gets a little more uh, spotlight than I, I, I think the, the credit of these boys that they deserve. Well, that it, wasn't a real sentence. I no, no. I, to piggybacking off of what you just said, something I really liked about this film without really, you know, spoiling anything. If you're not familiar with the story, you haven't seen alive or you, you're, you're, you haven't read the books or anything like that is the way this movie displays horror is never in a leering sense. Like it never feels not dangerous and it never feels comfortable. But the, as far as I'm talking about specifically about eating people, um, it, it really does do an excellent job at towing the line of like making sure you, the audience are uncomfortable with what's going on or questioning the thing, but not like leering into that aspect where the, where the places that I do think the film takes a lot of time and care and I'm happy for this is the ingenuity is sort of the spirit you do. It does at certain points start feeling like, Oh God, what could go wrong next? Oh shit. Avalanche. Like, but th those moments and those big things that happen to these, these people, um, I feel like in this movie, it, it does a really good job of outshining the, the, I guess the drawing nature or the taboo thing that people come to this story for, I feel like more than anything, like the thing that gets people through the doors, like, Oh shit, they crashed in the Andes and they had to eat each other. Like that's the, that's the, that's the terse bad description of this. And the movie does a, such an excellent job at showing the entirety of the experience and not leering just on the cannibalism aspect. Yeah. And they, uh, they don't like lead with it, but it comes in early enough that I, I think, and, and they say this about the experience, you know, you get used to it and it, it's what you have to do and you just keep doing it. And as the viewer, you got used to it. You know, at first it was like, oh my God, oh, someone's going to go out and they're going to do it. Oh, my God. They're going to pick a body. Oh, wow. And then by the end of it, you're like, yeah, get as much meat into that sock as you can for this long journey. <laughs> like yeah. you do desensitize to it. I will say I thought um, the movie is like two and a half hours long. It's very long. And I think a that it was as well paced as it could be for that. Um, and they used the events of the movie to really build out uh, uh, a a a a good story and uh and and chapter their journey in, in a way that felt very real but i also liked that they took time with so much of what was happening that you you really did have to spend actual commitment feeling the way they felt and and you know observing how difficult it was to hike and seeing these spanning mountains they didn't it didn't feel rushed ever and i th no. think that it would have been a crime to rush any of it it's it's kind of amazing because um you know Frank Marshall's film Alive isn't you know look it has the big problem that I always point out which is that it is a bunch of Americans playing Uruguayans um and you know like I think in 1993 we were a little bit more forgiving of that or a little bit more um blasé about that sort of thing and it's not, but it is actually a fairly decent retelling of the story um however uh in in fact in in the society of the snow the, the copy of the book that i picked up there is a forward from uh j.a boyena uh, the director of this film who um uh has been wanting to do this story for a while and you can tell by his letter that he wrote that that he is interested in the story not just from the sensationalistic aspects even though he is well known as a visual effects director um you know directed was it jurassic park fallen kingdom uh the impossible um uh, and uh, monster calls um he was really interested in the humanity of the story and and i think for him and certainly what comes out at the other end of this is that the film is a con 
what I think I like loved about this movie uh, most, and you know, just to put it out there, I absolutely loved this film, was that the moments that really had me riveted was a conversation they that the characters were having about what was the meaning of all of this and them trying to negotiate not just the you know the ingenuity required to overcome some of the things that have already happened and some of these things you know like again were quite well documented in alive and in many documentaries that have come since then but but really trying to navigate what did this all mean and as someone who's um, you know, an atheist who, you know, doesn't believe in religion, so to speak. Um, there was a lot for me to chew on from a kind of point of navigating the spiritual when it comes to how do we make sense of the world that doesn't make sense to us? Um, you know, like, how is it that these people, uh, have to, you know, like, the accident, the crash happens in the first place. They happen to survive, and they happen to survive in one of the most unhospitable places on the planet, with no resources whatsoever, less than a day's worth of food that would probably survive one person, uh, let alone the twenty-seven that were on the uh, that survived um, in the in the early days of the crash. Or was it thirty-three? I can't quite remember the number. I think it's, I think it's thirty something. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then endure both the sort of punishment i guess you know you could call it the punishment of realizing that uh no one is coming to rescue them uh they don't have food so they need to navigate uh you know a, a giant taboo and for a group of uh, uruguayan rugby players who are you know part of an old christian boys school um who are probably who are all pretty much roman catholic except for one interestingly um or possibly more than one um but there's one in this film that that i want to talk about in particular um having to deal with the the sort of navigation of the spiritual taboo or the religious taboo of consuming someone else's flesh, which, you know, obviously points to the sacrament as well. Um, and then, you know, the additional sort of layers of the avalanche, the fact that where they were was beyond um, hiking distance for any normal human being. Um, the fact that, um, you know, they, they did, were not prepared to do the kind of hiking that they that they would do it you know they didn't have the clothes for it they had to sort of make uh, a lot of the equipment that they needed to do it um, and then re-emerging into world into the world and I think it's perfectly encapsulated by the title this is the society of the snow which is that it is a society that doesn't quite fit into what we would expect within um, normally everyday life but informs us um, quite a lot about how we can live our lives. And like I said myself, I don't like management books, but I was reading this book going, it's an, inc it's an incredible document to how this group survived, which has a lot to do with the fact that this was quite a well-oiled machine, whether they knew it or not, or planned it or unintentionally. It was quite a well-oiled machine in terms of helping each other out, ensuring that everyone's needs were taken care of, and also ensuring that everyone kept the you know this is one of the details in the book uh but in the film for example the pilot asks for the gun to to kill himself and uh what we re what's revealed later in the book is that the two people that handed him the gun then took the gun and split it up and never spoke about it again so one had the bullets one had the gun neither neither of them spoke about it again and they never wanted the possibility of the gun becoming a factor within their survival to be there so they never because they never wanted anyone to lose all hope and be able to resort to the gun 
And so, mm. you know, that little detail along with, you know, dozens upon dozens of others um, is incredible. You know, like I, Roberto Canessa, who is the, the you know, first year medical student, uh, essentially becoming a doctor uh, on this trip and kind of negotiating how do I help people with whatever limited resources I have and just assuming that role. Uh, Marcello, who was the captain of the rugby team, um, becoming the de facto leader. Numo, the kind of spiritual leader. Nando, the kind of physical leader. I think there's just so much in this story. And the person I really want to talk about is Arturo, who was uh, the person with the broken leg who mm -hmm. stayed in the... Um, in the hammock for most of the film, but has an interesting conversation uh, about God, I guess, uh, towards the end of the film. Needless to say, just, just I've, I've rambled for quite a bit here. I adored this film and I found so much to chew on in this film. And was like that one you, of Jim, your jokes? Was that one of your bad <laughs> yeah, jokes? It was. What, oh, okay. <laughs> it was a poorly, poorly <laughs> unintended joke. But, but, but like you, Jamie, I just kind of lived in this film for the last week. Um, you know, just listening to the book, reading the book, finding out, you know, watching documentaries online. I listened to another podcast about the entire, um, the entire ordeal. Um, yeah, there's, there is so much information. It's like an endless trove of details. And if you start reading about it or looking into it, you, you fall. It's in. also, it's, it's, I think the reason why it's so compelling is it's unfathomable, you know, like it's impossible to imagine yourself in the scenario and it's impossible to imagine how you would respond to this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, no, it's not. I would crumble. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but, I, but actually, actually, they say, like, again, if you read their book, um, that's one of the things they say. Everyone tells them that they wouldn't be able to do it. And what they say is they they would never think that they would be able to do it until they're in that situation. And they found that and and there's a. I guess the other reason why I love this over reading, you know, books about management stuff, there's a degree of humility to it, which is saying that they, there is no looking down upon the people who couldn't survive because it wasn't about whether they had the will to survive. You know, the circumstances were so dire, but also um, they didn't think that they were capable of doing it until they were tested. And it wasn't about, you know, I'm the strongest and what have you. It was about them working together and finding solutions that actually made sense and were grounded in kindness. I think that's that's the really hard thing to fathom here. I can imagine, you know, like every survival story, you know, from Lost to Yellow Jackets to, you know, any film kind of talks about the power dynamics that form in situations like this and hierarchies and, and underlying uh, dysfunction within those groups. The old Lord of the Flies problem. The Lord of the Flies plot. But, but what, what they talk about is that that is actually not what happened. Um, on the mountain, their best selves came out, and yeah. they weren't expecting that. I, I have. Oh, sorry, Jamie. I, I, to go back to the very beginning of uh, Shahir's list of many things he liked. Uh, I, I really, I agree. Like the way the film, I think, juxtaposed their faith with their independent wills to survive and didn't abandon either side of it. Mm. was really appealing to me because they all, they all, yeah, were for the most part heavily religious and had to find a way to work around some things and, and figure out how to uh, maintain their own survival and, and also not wait and, and uh, hope and pray that God was going to help them. They had to get rid of that early and take the, take matters into their own hands. And I, uh, 
you know, I, it's such a humanist story. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you look at it, anthropophagy is not, um, that is- or, nailed I, that word. Thank you. Uh, is not against Catholicism. It's not like, it's like you imbue the, you imbibe the body of Christ. Like it, it if you're thinking about it from a, from a, you know, uh, um, I was about to say legitimate, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Practical, real way. Um, but like, so weirdly their faith, allowed them i think to forgive themselves from the the outside of the faith cultural taboo like it 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 knocked them into a place where they realized they weren't doing anything that would lock them out of heaven well it's it's you know what's what's really interesting um i i think it's very hard for the movies you know both the live and this to convey this but it, yeah. it, you know they describe this in the book um, we're talking about a degree of hunger and dehydration that, again, is really difficult to fathom. Um, yeah. You know, they talked about the, the one of the things with the dehydration is that and, and the sort of ingenuity of uh, taking a metal plate from a chair and and bending it as, and, you know, using that to form water. Like, uh, I, I think I think it was. Um, I can't remember actually which person came up with that. It was the person who kind of saw themselves as an engineer. Um, but he talked about the fact that um, uh, consuming ice for water actually hurt everybody. And they were so um, dehydrated and so injured that like putting ice in your mouth actually hurt their teeth and hurt their gums and was causing them to inflame and causing them more pain. Yeah. So they had to come up with a solution. Otherwise they were going to die. And so it's the same with the food, which is that, you know, they're talking about um, uh, a level of um, muscular deterioration that, you know, you can feel your kidneys pumping. You can feel your heart pumping. You can feel, they describe, you can feel the blood in your veins starting to freeze up. Yeah. And, and that is the, that is the, the circumstances under which, that choice to eat, you know, like, and, and, uh, Canessa, Roberto Canessa is kind of like approaching it from a, he's like, look, muscles are going to deter, muscles are deteriorating up here because it's so cold and we need protein and fat. Yeah. And then the interesting thing in the book, it talks about like, okay, once we'd gotten protein and fat, now we needed vitamins and minerals. And so that meant they had to start eating the livers and they had to start eating other, like, there's a there's a you know description in the book where they talk about eventually having to crack open the skulls and eat the brains. Yeah, because there's glucose yeah. in the brains. There's yeah. glucose in the brain, and Roberto was a phys physician and knew and understood what was going on with their bodies. Well, he was and a first year medical student. He was a first year which physician. Is, I mean, again, like talk about rising to the occasion. Well, um, I was going to say that so you mentioned this, Jamie. Uh, the reason why this film, I think, is called The Society of the Snow is that's what they dubbed themselves in this. Like, didn't you say it was something like that? Because basically, correct me when I am wrong. I tr it, I tried to find this and I couldn't. Oh, did you? It's not in a, the film. They don't. They don't, they don't mention it in the film. That. No, 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 no. But, but basically, the, the, the book is called that. Yeah, but the idea, the idea that was that because they were the only people out there, like, oh well, this person was a first year medical student. Well, congratulations, you're the best doctor we have. Yeah, it's why yeah. they keep forcing poor Roy Har Harley to fix the radio because he becomes the radio guy. And yeah, like, and he, in he's a, only ever fixed his friend's stereo. That's yeah, all he's ever done. And he, yeah. Apparently he spent the whole time just being like, I really don't want to do this. I really am scared and I don't think I can do it. And they were like, Roy, get out there. And <laughs> he just had to keep going. Um, 
On the, uh, what something I read about the uh, the actor who played Numa, uh, mm. whose last name is difficult. And so Vagrinchik, Vagrinchik. I'm not sure. I apologize, Enzo. Your first name is amazing. Um, he what great like, hair that guy has, by the way. Amazing hair, <laughs> incredible. Even uh, when he was like towards the end, I was like, man, great hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, he lost 50 pounds just filming. Um, and because he would fast. And I know that there's, you know, uh, many opinions over what actors do for roles. But he said, you know, if I hadn't fasted and he didn't uh, he he had like a regimented diet. He made sure that he wasn't going to mm. fall into bad health. But he he said, you know, fasting and learning about hunger was it wasn't something that he felt like he could skip as an actor preparing for this role because he had to know sort of like the physical effects of what happens when your body is not getting what it's used to, mm. uh, which, you know, and and then I, I, think, I think that actors can do that and it's okay. <laughs> I think, yeah, you should, but, but also like then how the, the body and the mind are kind of intertwined in terms of like, once they're, you know, fasted for so long. And in this case, um, you know, uh, completely devoid of food, um, how that affects your mind and how you, you know, there's a fogginess to what, to the way you can think. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, like a spiritual clarity can come across you as well. And, and then dealing with the, like the actual consequence of the environment, like, again, we're walking around New York city and going, man, it's cold. This was, this place was like 10 degrees, you know, minus 10 to 20 degrees colder than what we can imagine. We're completely surrounded with snow and harsh weather conditions and with no materials to protect them from it. You know, like yeah. the fuselage was all they had. And it was basically a hollow chamber. Metal, that they had to, like barricade every chamber. night. Yeah. 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 Also, I mean, you know, then you add in the fact uh, that the radio told them that no one's coming and they become the fast and the furious. Yeah. Uh, because that <laughs> is one of the most degrading possible things that could ever happen to you. Like, oh, by the way, Here's a signal saying no one's coming. I know. We got a radio. It's working. Oh, that's the news you hear. I mean. Yeah. The first news they heard when they turned that radio on. That is an, uh, uh, the, the, the film nails that whole scene, too, because it shows that awful moment of despair. And then it cuts to the it like it pans out and it goes to a commercial on the radio for like. I paint or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And it's, it, I, it's, it's heartbreaking how helpless they must have felt. Yeah. Uh, I want to read, um, I want to read a passage from the Society of the Snow, just a quick one here, uh, that Roberta Canessa wrote. Um, because I think this is, this is where I found the film, um, really rewarding. Now, again, the story in itself is packed with, um, you know, pretty devastating edge of your seat kind of thrill rides, um, uh, act, you know, set pieces that are miraculous. They're miraculously staged as well. But this is the part of the film that I kind of like, um, I found more rewarding was, uh, Kinesa wrote, I feel that people are, who are fascinated by our story are able to harness something of its essence. They capture something more than the stories of suffering, exploits, and salvation. One woman sent me an email in which she told me your salvation was not in your escape in the helicopters, but in the moment that the plane fell and you all entered another life. At first, I didn't understand what she was talking about, but for some reason, that text kept following me. It stuck in my head. And every time I read it from a different perspective, the last time I read it, I smiled in complicity and full understanding how right you are, I thought. And I think the, the conversation that goes on um, around Arturo and Numa in terms of both their choices to eat and not eat, 
Um, and particularly Arturo, I, I guess maybe this is where the film becomes personal to whatever your experiences are. Um, but Arturo for me, and then Javier, uh, who was married to Lilith uh, as well, the, the older couple that were there and the wife mm -hmm. dies, their conversations where they're basically, Arturo is saying, I'm ready to meet God, but not the God that you can think of the God of the, uh, the, you know, the, the God of Argentina, the one that lived down there did not prepare me and is not accessible to me up here. What I believe in is the God of this fuselage and the God of the people around me and the God of, um, the God of love around us that keeps us alive. Um, that's what I believe in. And that's what I take away from it. And, and it was interesting because uh, Arturo was a known atheist as well. So, uh, and you know, he, knew he was going to die and i think at some point he said to one of the people i am ready to meet death and i'm ready to meet god and he didn't mean it in the sense in the spiritual sense he didn't mean it in the church sense he read it he meant it in the sort of sense of experience that he had uh, uh across you know what had happened to him over the last 60 odd days um i think that to me was a really fascinating and just rewarding piece of the puzzle here. It was actually the reason why we were doing this film. And then there's a conversation where Javier has with, uh, with um, I believe, Roberto about uh, Lilith, his wife. And he uh, talks Liliana. about like trying to make sense, like why, what meaning does this have? Like, how can we ascribe meaning to something so painful? You know, like he, his, for again, we're, we're really deep into spoilers here, but Lilith dies in the avalanche. The plane crashes, FYI. The plane crash. There was a second avalanche and Lilith died in the avalanche. And he, you know, was standing on her shoulders ostensibly when she died. And he wasn't able to help her. He didn't, he, you know, his body wasn't able to move. And all he could think about was like, how do I make sense of this? How do well, I make was, meaning yeah. of this? It was able to move, but he couldn't move because he would have crushed her. He would have crushed her. Yeah. And so how do you, but how do you make like, like in a, in a, you know, in a sense of what the universe can do to a person, how do you make sense of that? Yeah. You know, this person whom he loves the most is the mother of his children. Um, how do you make sense of this idea that he can't move because he'll kill her and she died? And he says, all I can make sense of is that she loved so much that she allowed me to live. And I, it is now my job to carry this love to my children. And that like, you know, that's such a, a degree of conviction that required to, to understand and only can happen in this situation. Now, again, I, I Matt, you know, you said you wouldn't be able to do it. I agree. I, you know, like I, I although I'm saying they all say you would be able to. I agree that I don't think I have the capacity to understand how the universe works in the way that these people do. Yeah, I, I could um, do it. Yeah. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, I think yeah, I'd be fine. Here's here's the truth of it, and and I I I'll, I can only say this for myself. I think a lot of I, I listen. I rag on religion all the time um, because I think it does a lot of damage. But I think what what is portrayed in this film and this story is uh one of the good aspects of it and i think in that is sort of like either a trying to find meaning or b finding and and believing in community now again that is also a cultural touch point not just a religious one i know they are intertwined but an, uh, to be perfectly honest a, a reason i think that i couldn't do it is not that i was raised in a hyper selfish environment or whatever but the the, the united states's cultural uh cachet of 
of uh, camaraderie and and teamwork and and things I feel in these situations in the current day and age uh, is not nearly as strong as what these men displayed. No, and I think that has a lot to do with uh, the nurture element of nature and nurture. Like, Matt, I think could you I, imagine if you and I were in this plane. Oh, we'd be dead. Well, we would. We yeah, it just, it's never going to happen. Uh, so, but that's my point. Like, and I'm not. I I just I think it, it's a really. It shows uh, a, a beautiful strength of character. It also shows the very beneficial things about the nurture that these men had growing up in their society and their culture and their religion. Well, um, and shout out to sports. They, and sport. they, I mean, were, that, yeah. a, they were a team. They yep. were. A, and I think one of the reasons they became so organized so quick is because and very unfortunately. So, A, it was a it was a rugby based plane, but also so many authoritarian figures on that plane authority figures on that plane died mm. that by the time the survivors kind of came together it was almost entirely rugby players who had a team captain and so there was a built-in hierarchy or or at least social order to immediately go to yeah and to plan and to do things and yeah. to enact you know and plays for it wasn't right just word. a well, bunch of millennials like it's a little, uh, influencers. I, mean, I, I wouldn't I, I don't know i don't know so this is an interesting thing is I played rugby all the way through high school and I played rugby oh, in you did? high school team. I played rugby and basketball. And I would say there is something to rugby that is very different to um to basketball, for example. So basketball, when I played, you know, it is really about who can shine or who who can uh ex you, you know the group supports um, the the organization until one person can actually score the goal. And that happens in rugby as well. But in rugby, so for example, I was a, a lock. So in, I don't know if you guys have watched rugby, but in, a, in rugby, uh, there's a scrum where three players, two, pro, it's a, you'll, you'll laugh at this. God bless the, you. The front center player is called a hooker. Um, the, t the two players to their sides I are called props. sex workers. I don't think that's <laughs> <laughs> um, The two players behind them are called locks, and I was a lock. Uh, and then there was a player be um, behind uh, us as well. And you have to, it, basically, the two teams will form these groups of six uh, one, two, three, four, yeah, six. And, and they basically push against each other. And mm. the history of rugby is created in such a way that you, um, there's a certain formation you have to, to do. And it's very, it's like my, as a lock, my head is between the butts of two guys in front of me. And, and, and so is the other lock and they're all, and we're all kind of like joined in there together. And I, I, I dare say there's something about, at least in the front row, uh, which is where the, there's two two sides to the um, to a rugby team, the front row and the back row. Where the heads and uh, the butts the meet. <laughs> What's that? Where the heads and the butts meet. Where the heads and the butts meet are in the front row. Uh, got lock. Yeah, Literally. and it's uh, it's where there's a kind of, I guess, physical intimacy that you have with another person. That's like yeah. you've been that close to that person. You've lift you like part of like the lock. For example, my position is to lift other people up during the lineout. So when there's a lineout, you have to like lift other people up and like help them catch the ball. So there's kind of like a, you know, you get close to people. So I think there's a kind of awareness of the other person and like you build an awareness of like the other 15 players that that is built around like both camaraderie, but unlike basketball, which is centered around not touching each other or not causing offense, you know, like this is all built about 
being as close together and packed together as quickly as tightly as can be i don't want to that's a speculation that's just my observation from having played rugby if it had um, been a golf team they might not have yeah, played oh, so yeah. well yeah i don't know yeah soccer team i don't know either it's interesting as well because the other film that i um you know i talked about this film uh, a couple uh maybe I think two years ago was the documentary, the cave. Um, Jamie, if you love this film, <laughs> you, the cave is incredible. And I say this, you know, without um, any um, slyness about it or whatsoever, the cave is the greatest mission impossible movie ever made. That's about uh, the, um, the Thailand kids, right? The, the soccer team that was um, trapped inside the, the, yeah. the cave yeah, and the non-American team really yeah. always comes through. Well, <laughs> I, you know, the interesting thing there is that um, it, the, they, the kids have to wait for their rescue. But the interesting thing is that it's about this team of divers that have to figure out a plan to rescue these kids. And they the, have to f- figure out a plan to, to dissuade Elon Musk from uh, destroying yeah, their. The, yeah, their, I, the, uh, I don't think the movie, the documentary even gets into the Elon Musk thing. Um, but. Actually, actually, that's a really great example because what you see when you watch that documentary and you, t- and you look at the, the divers that were involved in that rescue, you see how ridiculous and how fucking irritating it was that Elon Musk decided to interject. And it was such a, you know, it was such a moment of, um, uh, I, I don't even know what the word is for it, but like such a tasteless moment. Yeah, and, it was and, such and an, an, an insertion of hubris that yeah. where... The, these movies and, and and documentaries and stories about, I th- I think, uh, persevering through uh, utter disaster. I was thinking about Apollo 13 a lot yeah. this week. Yeah, Apollo 13 is another great example. It's, yeah, it, it's, these, it's these stories where you're not coming back. Yeah. You're just not. The math isn't there. And yet you find a way, usually through being extremely pragmatic, mm. of getting there. Um, and also finding what your place is in the situation, like what is your role? And it may not be to lead, but it's just as important. You know, it's yeah. like this sort of um, decentralized structure. Um, and, and you know, that happened in, the, in Society of the Snow as well, which is that Marcello, who is ostensibly the team captain, dies. And um, Nando kind of... He, de- he doesn't necessarily become the leader, but he becomes the driving force for like why they have to leave. Yeah, I think... I, I mean, I think... The, the way they the movie definitely, I think, structures itself around this, too, of how uh, the, the different steps they would take to kind of like maintaining and overlapping their plans. Yeah. Nando is definitely a through line once he uh, comes to and heals. And um, I, I I think it's a, 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 a it was a risk maybe to stick so strongly to that way of narrating, because I feel like you might potentially lose a viewer in, in how long your movie is and, and and the jumping around, but they have to, they're initially just trying to find food and then they have to find the tail of the plane. And then they're trying to figure out a route out and then they're trying to get a radio and then they're trying to walk out. Like you see them try four or five different ways of surviving. Well, it, it, I kind of uh, pivoting there. Uh, for, we've talked a lot about the story itself uh, and just a little bit so far about how this movie it portrays it. And I think uh, if if I could pivot us just ever so slightly for a moment to sort of the the film craft at display, like I think that this is a very difficult movie to to 
make as effective as it is. Now, I've seen a live forever ago, hmm. but live didn't really stick with me. If if you if you if a you, live time ago, yeah. If you took if you was like oh live, be like oh yeah, that movie where the plane crash people had to eat each other on the mountain. Like that's what I've been. I would have been like oh okay, yeah, that's what a live is. This is like this movie will never stick with me in that way. And I think it's specifically not only I mean, it's 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 how it's told like it is long, but it feels like it's the right length for the experience that they're trying to get us a sliver of. I think the way that it shot both in incredible wides and very uncomfortable, uh, you know, close ups and tight shots is uh, indicative of both the different levels of horror that it represents, like the expansiveness of nothing around you and oh shit, I now either A, have to cram so close to people to survive for sheer warmth or or oh shit, another avalanche has crushed us into this plane. Like I, I, I think that that's a really good point, which is that the wide shots are terrifying. Yeah, and every the, shot the is wide terrifying. Shot terrifying. The mid shots, not so terrifying. The wide shots and the close up shots in this movie are where the weight uh, sort of comes in. Numa, Numa says the thing that I think that he understands why the wide shots are terrifying is that when they first like they their attempted climb up the hill, um, he turns back and says, "Oh my God, you can't see the plane from here." Like yeah. that yeah, means no like one's they, going to discover us. Yeah, you know, like we we've only walked uh, about an hour from where the plane is, and you cannot see it anymore. And that's why the wide shots become terrifying. And then, you know, like when Nando climbs to the top of the mountain, you know, he's there's just this the sight, which is that the mountains go on forever. Yeah, and even though they've just ascended this incredibly steep, incredibly treacherous mountain, you know, there is no end in sight for this. Um, you know, the wide shots are terrifying. And I think um, Bayona is is just, um, this. Is, by the way, this is the first film of his I've actually seen. I have not seen really? The Orphanage. I've not seen The Impossible. I've not seen Jurassic World. I've not seen A Monster of the Quarrels. Uh, this is the first of his I've seen. Hmm. Um, I've heard of a lot of very good things about The Impossible. I've, I've just had kind of like a little bit of a barrier to entry with The Impossible, which is that it is about the tsunami, but from the point of view of a tourist family. Sure. Uh, I, I've just been like, uh, yeah, one day. I've heard it's very oh, good. Oh, that's yeah. the Naomi Watts one. You know, Naomi Watts, uh, Tom Holland, yeah, Aaron McGregor. Uh, I, I saw that. Yeah. I uh, hear it's very it's, good. It's very, very good. You're, you know, that's a, you're right. Yeah. Um. That's a. That's that's that is exactly the issue. But yeah. the uh, the sound mixing of that movie or mixing. Look at yeah. look at me. I know all about film. You're on the, you're uh, on the only movie podcast. Is, you're good. Is uh extraordinary. I didn't. Re- I did not know that was him because I didn't yeah. do any homework. Uh, there was. He did do two episodes of the Lord of Rings, Rings of Power. And he also uh, actually, I have seen one of those episodes of Rings of Power, and uh, I have not seen Jurassic uh, World: Fallen Kingdom. Jurassic World: Fallen one. Kingdom sure was a film. Sure was. Um, um, well, it kind of goes to show like what, you know, what's I, I haven't seen Fallen Kingdom. You saw it, right? Yeah. And it, it did not stick with you in any way. I and, saw it on a plane and I remember I maybe it was the altitude bringing it all back. <laughs> but uh, I was like, I did not hate this as much as I thought I would. OK, um, but, but it's I, certainly think, no- I think there's a lot of I, I honestly, especially after seeing some of his other work, I don't think that the majority of what I disliked about that movie is his fault that that movie feels many aspects of that movie feel hoisted upon the entire crew <laughs> yeah um so yeah it go, I mean it goes to show like what a film 
you know, I, again, without any empirical evidence to support this, but what a film which is driven by a personal passion to tell the story versus, you know, potentially what a franchise film is, you know, like, you know, how, how differently that can play out. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I think what's, what's startling to me about this film in particular is that it is expertly made, but not showy in any way. It doesn't feel uh, right. like, you know, like it, there is always a deferment to the weight of what is happening to the characters. Mm-hmm. And it never feels like it ever wants to distract from that. Even, even when it's doing sort of technically pretty uh, challenging, you know, directorial you know things such as um smash cuts from day to night for one character who's like breathing heavily and then dead in the next shot you know it's got all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. it's got like pretty amazing tracking vistas but, there's but again no those vistas you say that no, again. There's no heroics. Nothing no is heroics. glamour. Yeah. There's no no Ethan Hawke isn't anywhere in sight. Like it's just... long, beautiful hair blowing in the wind. <laughs> I mean, that's and I th- I think that's that's a testament to you cannot do this story. It, it it would betray the the actual ethos of the story to make it about heroics. Yeah. Like the, 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 these men and, you know, and some women uh, involved were not trying to be heroic. They were just trying to survive. And in, in doing so found a greater meaning, you know, or we're able to convey a story to the rest of us um, that conveys a greater meaning. Um, even though, you know, from the, from their point of view, they were just kind of dealing with the situation in front of them. Uh, but that, not that they weren't aware of it either. Again, they're, um, uh, you know, like the 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 other interesting thing, and I, it is touched upon in this film as well, is the aftermath of them trying to reemerge them, you know, reinsert themselves into normal society. Uh, there's a moment at the end of this where uh, one of them is being bathed by a nurse, and you know, he just has this smile on his face, and it is like there is a sort of sense that there's something unusual about him now he's sort of like touched it's like he's touched oh yeah she's like listening to his heart and he they keep making eye contact it's strange yeah Yeah, and it's and it's like he's touched a a part of the universe that you know like makes him extraordinary and and i think she realizes there's some really funny like stuff in the book again like um because they're kids uh, what's that they're kids they're They're they're, kids and 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 they started off as 85 kilos. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the conversion is. They were 40 ki- 45 kilos when they came out. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah. they were like gaunt, covered in dirt, wearing the same clothes day in and day out. Um, there is in, in Alive, uh, they, um, at, they, ha- they sent two helicopters to rescue them, but the weather was really bad. And they were like, okay, we can only take eight people back yeah. the first night. So... All the like this like group of rescuers got out of the helicopter. It was like a bunch of mountain climbers and a couple of medics. Yeah. And they were like, All right, eight of you go, and then we're gonna stay the night here with the with the other group and we'll, you know, you'll be okay. And they checked out the site and they walked around and they mm. were like, Oh, are predatory birds eating these corpses? And they were like, nah. <laughs> uh and they said the the carabiners found the the fuselage and were like, Oh, this is disgusting. It's covered in human bones and fat and it smells so bad. We've got to pitch tents nearby. And the kids were genuinely offended that their invitation to stay in the fuselage with them was rejected because it had been their home. They had no idea how filthy they were. 
Of course sorry, not. They, sorry to go back no, to the no. book. <laughs> there was another thing in the book as well where um, they talked about the the need to to form a community, I guess, a society, because there was a deep ingrained fear of what happens if you're the last person standing. Like what happens if everybody else dies around you and you're the last one there? Then you die in loneliness. You die without uh, you know people surrounding you. And, you know, like that was a real palpable fear that many of them had as well. It was like um, ensuring that everyone around you stays alive because, you know, like, can you imagine the thought of being the last person surrounded by dead dead bodies? Well, the and I'll use that to sort of bring it back to, again, sort of structure of the film. A thing that I really liked about how this story was told was the narrator was Numa. Yeah. And spoiler alert again, Numa dies. Mm. Yeah. And I loved, like, I was trying to sort of square that element of the storytelling and why I liked it so much. And it kind of takes you, the viewer, from the perspective, like, entirely of that journey that you just sort of said you hear, right? Like, you if they weren't rescued, you do not want to be the last one alive. Mm. Uh, and I believe the narration is even like, and I died on such and such and whatever. And then there's no more. Narr- I believe there's no more narration from Numa after that sentence. If I remember mm. correctly, I think it picks up at the very, he, he's the last, he, he Does narrates he the last again? scene, but it's, yeah, it's, it's obviously, made. it's a little yeah, more, of course, of yeah. Course. But like, I, I, I find that, that structure incredibly effective for this particular story and the the moments of strength and what they're trying to actually get across again uh, for whatever reason. And and I haven't been able to square it fully yet. Hopefully in in the coming weeks I will, but that, that, that is the, the POV character that then we are pulled from Mm. like the movie takes away another comfort. Yeah. And it leaves you as best you can in this sparse, deadly, lonely place. Yeah. And I thought that was a really smart move on the filmmaker's part to like have that be the structure, like another, I I don't use this in a pejorative way, but like another rug pull on you in the shoes of these men. Mm. Like it it was a really, really effective choice. I thought. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't, it, it makes sure that you don't feel safe. Because yeah. you lose your narrator. I also thought it um, it was a, a, a nice way to, I think, amplify the voices of the people that didn't survive. Yeah, yeah the, um, the, the movie is paying a lot of tribute to everybody that passed away, yeah. you know, like through titles uh, at the beginning, you know, like whenever anyone passed away and their age. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of really get a sense that, you know, there is a, a respect for those who have passed. Yeah. I read um, when they made a live the film, uh, they didn't have permission to use everybody's names. Mm. They hadn't really done their due diligence, I think, in in getting everybody on board. And this production did a lot more. And mm. every every survivor or every or the families of the deceased all got on board. I think there was one person who they said, you know. Yeah, you can use his name. He can be in the movie, but please avoid um, mm. making him a, a focal point. You know, that's painful. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, 
it's probably not this isn't so distant that it's it's easy to make something i know that we pump out a film about something that happened two years ago nowadays but uh to to make a movie about something so intense that affects you know like a a big handful of people and do it completely respectfully is i i think really impressive that is complicated and uh big and and kudos to uh to to the makers yeah, well, I, I mean, again, you can, you know, uh, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but it's like the fact that Jay Boyana is Spanish and, you know, speaks Spanish and like, you know, speaks the language. And I think compared to when Frank Marshall and, mm-hmm. you know, Ethan Hawke came in and did that other movie, it, it's just like there's a level of understanding of a culture that that goes beyond um, immersion. I, not to, again, not to say suggest that nobody else could make that movie or anything, or, or that's a factor. But it just, I think it plays into it so much. Yeah. Um, you guys, I, wait, you want some? You want a fun Easter egg? Go for it. Um, the uh, um, Nando. Uh, gosh, I'm lost his last name. Uh, he's in it briefly. Uh, the real person. He's right. in the airport, and yeah. in the scene when they're rescued and walking through the hospital, uh, uh, Roberto Canessa's is behind he is playing a doctor walking himself through the hospital and that very very powerful scene where they read the names of the survivors uh Mm -hmm. twice over like right as they're being rescued and one of them he said he he says the name uh carlitos uh something my son it's he that that guy actually did that he got that list it was the guy he didn't know that his son was alive or dead he just had to read the names and his son was on the list and he had to read through the the names and see his son on the list as a survivor that's the first time yeah that was the first time he found out his son was alive and that that actor is is the is the guy is the survivor yeah i think yeah, and I think you know that that's um, pays respect to, again to the story. I, I gotta say, Roberto Canessa, you know, like he he went on to be, I think, one of Uruguay's leading uh, cardiac surgeons, um, led an extraordinary life. As like, I I the the I, I know it's the wrong word, but the depth of heroism or the depth of uh, just the measure of a person, you know, like that guy is incredible. Um, Lots of little really fun Easter eggs in the book in uh, Society of the Snow. The one that I was like struck by was that um, they there's a suggestion that Nando Nando's drive to get out um, he because he he initially was knocked out for a few days um, and the there's a suggestion that he may have had had there not been the exact right set of circumstances he may have suffered some brain injuries but he was basically left at a certain because he had been knocked out his mother uh his mother had died and his sister was very badly injured he was left on one side of the plane um and and what they didn't realize it was a very 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 cold part of the plane and it actually reduced his fever he probably would have died had it not been for the fact that he'd been put to one side um and it reduced his fever and it probably yeah, reduced his brain the chance didn't swell. it re- yeah his brain was swelling and it reduced yeah. the swelling of his brain as well and and the the you know like cuz he had this sort of immeasurable drive to to find his way out um, and you, you know, think maybe it was a it was a concussion. <laughs> it may have been a concussion. We're not exactly sure. Um, another great tidbit was that when they were rescued and they were taken to the Chilean side, um, 
the Chilean immigration officer insisted upon getting their passports. And they were like, he was like, do you have papers to come into Chile? And they were like, no. I, like <laughs> The survivors were just like, Dude. I don't understand what it is you're telling me right now or what it is you're asking me. And, and like the Chilean authorities had to then have a conversation with the immigration officers and everyone had to get involved because they were like, these guys don't have their papers. <laughs> and it was like, you like, know, just like this incredible, like, imagine being stranded in the situation that you're in and then hitting human bureaucracy. Yeah, it's back to that. It's back to that miserable, weird yeah. bureaucracy. And, and, it's, and back it, to the, it's back to the curing the commercial on, on the radio. Well, and it's just like, it goes to show like, what we've lost, what humanity we've lost because of the way we've organized our society right. versus the way that they would, yeah. you know, in that small time. It's just like, why would you ever ask this person for their papers? Like, and why would this ever be a conversation? But it was, um, you know, like it's, it's just uh, extraordinary. And the, 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 the story, I, you know, like I, I've got many stories in my life that I am trying to always think about like, what is the meaning of this? Or like, like how do, you know, again, I'm, I'm agnostic, atheist, you know, non-believer. Uh, and I'm always like trying to figure out like, well, how do I ascribe meaning to this? And it, this was a really powerful movie for me to just think about uh, how these men thought about how to prescribe meaning to what they had been through. Yeah. Um, or, or not over prescribe it. I really yeah. like the arc in the film of um, Vito Strauch, Strauch mm. or Strauss? Um, he was one of the, the, the cousins, One of the right? cousins, yeah. yeah. He's the one that makes, um, engineers the water system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he's uh, very pragmatic and he's sort of shown as, um, I don't know if he's cynical, but he- Oh, Fito. Fito, yeah. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, seem he he never seems to want to be like just wait they're gonna rescue us he's always kind of thinking and working mm. and a when the helicopter picks them up he's kind of they close the door and the, you know, that moment of silence silence is used very effectively i think mm -hmm. in this movie of him leaving the site uh mm. is a really i my kind of stomach dropped in that moment of just letting him sit with his trauma for a, a second but then when they're reunited with their families, his mother says it's a miracle. And he says, what miracle? Yeah. And I loved that as like a premise of this film of, yes, faith is present. I I think faith is extraordinary. And I think it really carried a lot of them through this. But this is a story about the strength of humans and the strength of humanity and the spirituality of what can be done. And I I think that's what makes it so good and so powerful and why I'm just kind of keep digging around in it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I think that is the perfect description of the story. And I think this film does an excellent job at portraying that specific element of it and getting it beyond something that is either salacious or just sort of headliney. Like, yeah. I think this movie does a lot uh, and does an excellent uh, rendition of this nightmare, and but while also not wallowing in that darkness, like the darkness is present and uh, obviously a character, but it's not the point. And I think that's why this movie really worked for me. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, like uh, we're coming up to the end of the or in, the end of the topam year i guess uh i no, would we're be... not we got like 19 movies left. <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a lot of movies we you have guys to go you guys do your end of year in like 
fucking May. <laughs> yeah, of course. Let's be, that, I mean, of course what, he if says. We, if, if we did it in December, we wouldn't have ca- uh, included uh, Society of the Snow. You're yeah, right. Or Rebel, you're or right. Rebel Moon. So I really think <laughs> it's really going to be worth it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I just think this was extraordinary and, and kind of amazing that a re, you know, it's a fit. I don't besmirch the original Frank Marshall movie much, you know, like I think it actually was a pretty remarkable retelling of that story and it, and it got a lot of details right. And it was pretty respectful, but, but this is far, su- this is yeah. far, far, far superior and yeah. far more the definitive version of this story is as a film. Um, and it, you know, like you, Jamie, um, it got me into the book. It got me into thinking about this topic in, in a great way. And, and, you know, without spoiling where we're at, the other film that did this for me last year was my number one film of the year. And that was woman talking. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it, it really, uh, profoundly affected, uh, me and, and, and it is, um, it's the kind of film I want to spend time mulling over and thinking about and wallowing in for the for lack of a better word, um, because it is a film that speaks to both our humanity, both our sense of like dignity as human beings, and 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 gets us into a get well got me into a conversation about thinking about how do you know how do we make meaning out of what is seemingly arbitrary and not only that cruel and punishing and chat you know like how do we make sense of that and. Uh, what's beautiful about the film is it has no answers to that, but it can point to this incredibly resonant story uh, about these young men that that you know found themselves in the situation and did the unthinkable. Um, but you know, like in this conversation, we've really talked about cannibalism or uh, apophagy. Um, we've really talked about the filmmaking just a little bit. What we've really talked a lot about is who these people are mm-hmm. or who these people are and what their story was and how they responded to the situation. I mean, there's no better testament to like the effectiveness of a film when three people who love film don't talk about the filmmaking, but talk about the people involved. Um, I, I just think that's extraordinary. And, you know, that's, this is why I love movies, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film, the society of the snow, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It was really lovely. I I was glad that you were able to do this because you had been talking about it for a while and I knew you'd bring, uh, a lot of good insight and, and, and just love of this tale and this film to this. So I very much appreciate it when you are not uh having this story live in your brain rent free 24/7 where can folks find you well oh interesting question i don't know you can text me um i'm not on twitter anymore uh and and on my instagram is jimjam_walsh underscore walsh and maybe the dog park yeah 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 i'm at the dog park yeah, a lot yeah, so you could you could swing by the dog park yeah. laszlo He's he doesn't like anybody, but you know you could say hi to him. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Shahir, right. you made some headway with him recently. Yeah, <laughs> oh, have I seen? I haven't seen Laszlo in a while. I don't know if you'll. No, Christmas party. Okay, when you sorry. are not bucking the tradition of Laszlo barking at every tall man, particularly in the snow, where can folks find you? Oh, there's no way I'm getting around that. Uh, you can find me eating all of the brownies at my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Or my company website, suvanova.com. That's S-U-V-A-N-O-V-A. Matt, when you are uh, trying to find linguistic 
definitions for how to consume another person's body, uh, where can people find you? You can find me checking out the definition of anthropophagy over at my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-L.com. I don't know if that played or not. Also, uh, you can check out the good works we're doing over at Extra Credits and Extra History. Uh, actually, if you're listening to this now, two things. One, we'll have released our How the Internet Killed the Board Game Store story, uh, where we talk about a lot of different things and ways we can try to help keep mom and pop game stores alive. Uh, and over on the extra history side of things, we are in the middle and or wrapping up our Wuzot Tien series, which I am very much loving. Uh, I believe uh, it, she's one of the most fascinating figures of Chinese history. And um, this will have come out approximately seven hours, six hours after our MAGFest panel, uh, Extra Breakfast, is uh, live and animated that we'll be doing over in D.C. at the MAGFest uh, Music and Gaming Festival. Uh, we'll be taking it home. We'll be doing a nice breakfast thing, uh, talking to everybody. You can check that out probably on their Twitch VOD if you're interested in that. Search MAGFest on Twitch, and I bet you the VODs will be there if you want to see that. Uh, can, I ask a, can I ask a question? Do we all give each other permission to eat eat each other if it, if it ever came to that? Like, I think that's maybe the other testament to this film. Do, I, do, so so I get I hear I, I'm begrudgingly go yes I, I'm gonna go for it I give you permission great yeah yeah we mind. all have permission I think well I don't know about Jamie I yeah I don't care yeah that's the thing <laughs> the only like I don't wanna, I'm stuck in that situation I'm gonna eat someone I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna be cremated because I want the chance to come back as some form of undead uh right. now now being eaten does limit what kind of undead i can come back as but mm -hmm. i think in an extraordinary desperate times call for desperate measures right. speaking of which next week rebel moon oh, that's right god. we're watching rebel moon no we're not no matt's uh, gonna podcast about it by himself by I, oh my god <laughs> just release it as a but look if you want to do it release it as a bonus episode a nebula only where by i yourself. just rant by myself about rebel i don't have time to do that um <laughs> Yeah, but, remember when you remember when you like drank a pack of White Claws and watched the Snyder Cut? That's you, right. I live end, tweeted it. You were I drank, so depressed the next day. I Matt. was so depressed. I went it, through ten White Claws and I tweeted at the end of every chapter of the Snyder Cut. It wasn't say, good for you know, your mental health. Paul Paul emailed us in. We still have not discussed Anatomy Before, a film that I you know said to you guys, said to Matt, was one of the best films of the year. I would love to see that. We, are we should have a movie about, night. Ribble of the Moon. Real moon. What's I that? want to see American fiction. American fiction looks amazing as well. Like, That's what I want. Rebel Moon takes away the opportunity for us to talk about American fiction. Sheer, no, it doesn't. You just got to talk about them all. I want to see right. that movie about tennis threesomes. Yeah, whatever that, that it's comes about. Out, the Luca Guadagnino film with Zendaya, right? That's coming yeah, out later yeah. this year. I want to see Dune 2. Well, yeah, but are going to see Dune. No one's going to stop you from seeing Dune 2. No one's going <laughs> to stop me from seeing Rebel Moon if I want. They, why haven't you? I might stop point? you. That, this, the only this is my question. Why haven't you me. taken the time out to watch Ribble Moon at this I'm point? Very busy. If you Big love it so stuff. much, why don't you marry it? <laughs> All right. I now <laughs> Maybe pronounce I will. me. This is Rebel. what would happen if Matt and I were on a strand <laughs> on an island or stranded in a plane crash. So this is what the, anyone else would oh, say. We Moon. got these fucking podcasters uh, to deal oh with God. in the back Rebel of the Moon. plane. Rebel Moon would allow me to I'll eat, eat your if it dies. <laughs> but no, she here doesn't get any Rebel Moon. Yeah. <laughs> We're, you know what? It's funny. When we watched that first Halloween reboot and we're like, fucking podcasters, now I get it. FYI, yeah. the dog left the room. Okay, well, we should probably go too. We'll talk at you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.